0: The Lord calls us to worship this morning from Psalm 118, beginning in verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. In heaven, we lift up our eyes and our heads to you as the one who has created us and made all things. Lord, we look to you today to worship you, to lift up praises to you, to sing high the glory of our Savior. Lord, as we gather as your people today, we pray that you would be with us by your spirit. We know that if you are not in our midst, we are, we are not worshiping you as your word commands us to, and we pray, Lord, that you would be with us now, that you would assist us in our thinking, in our praising, in our reading of the Scriptures, in our hearing of it. Uh, Lord, that all of these things would bring glory and honor to You and that we would see the blessed Gospel and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and believe it. And Lord, we pray now together out loud as You taught Your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done This morning we will be reciting together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in your hymnal. It is our statement of faith and confession of what we believe. So I'm going to ask you, dear church family, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Isaiah chapter 1. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. Let's continue to worship singing hymn number 672, Trust and Obey. for our responsive reading this morning. Page number 800, we're going to be uh, reading out loud together Psalm 42. I'll begin with the light portion and respond out loud together with the bold. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul for you, O God. tears have been my food day and night. All day
1: long,
0: These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls
1: in the door of your waterfalls. All your rays and breakers have swept over me.
0: By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life.
1: I say to God,
0: Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? me all day long,
1: God.
0: Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Let's continue to worship, singing hymn number six hundred and sixty-nine. Commit now all your griefs. heaven, we thank you for the truth of the words that we have read in the psalms this morning and also the hymn that we just sang. Uh, That though our conscience and though the world and others may tell us uh, that we have reason to to bow low, Lord, we, we thank you and we praise you that you are our heavenly Father who hears us when we pray. And it is a delight now as your people to come before your throne in your presence, full of faith and not fear. Lord, I pray that you would be with those uh, in our midst this morning who are downcast and who would read the words from the psalm this morning and say, that's where my heart is. And as I come to your presence, uh, I am fearful. I am down. Lord, I pray that you would comfort your people by your spirit, that you would do the work that only you can, applying the word to our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would help us in our moment of need by your spirit, that we would be comforted. And also share in that comfort with others as we bear one another's burdens, as we obey your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk in spirit and in truth with you. And Lord, I thank you and praise you for the opportunity to be here together in worship this morning. To come to the table of your grace. To to have a sense of your love for us as you have poured it out through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you demonstrate through this meal. Lord, I pray that you would minister it to our hearts, that we would hear and believe the gospel today, and Lord, that we would leave here changed, that we would know that we have been in the presence of the living God. Lord, I do pray for those among us who are suffering uh, physical, mental, and emotional trials, and as the calendar turns another page and we begin another year, Lord, we look to you for grace and for strength. I pray for those whose trials have, have jumped across the page of multiple years and I pray Lord that you would be almighty God to them that you would remind them even this morning of your constant care and love that you have not forgotten your people and nor have you taken the eye of your blessing off of them Lord I pray that you would be with those who are going through financial struggles at this time of year that you would be very near to them and Lord that you would provide we cry out to you to provide for your people to take care of them And Lord, we thank You uh, for the work that You do in the world spreading the gospel through missionaries and the teaching of Your Word and the preaching of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that You would bless our participation in it as we give each Sunday. Lord, would You use our tithes and our offerings for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and the glory of His name among the nations. Would You please bless our missionaries and their families that they would have great joy and delight in their participation In the gospel. And Lord would you hold them up by your strength. Sometimes I'm sure for them it is a wearying work. And it is difficult to be away from family and friends. Even this time of year around the holidays. And I pray Lord that you would be very close to them. And use your people. As an encouragement to them and a reminder. That you have not forgotten them. And that you are filling them with your spirit. To do the work that you call them to do. In your name. Amen. I invite you this morning to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 4 this morning. Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. The sermon is entitled, Pleasing God. This is the word of the Lord. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that your charitable deed may be done in secret. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. I wrote it down in case I forgot to say it earlier. I want to say Happy New Year to you and your family, from our family. And I do look in faith to the Lord for what he will do in this new year. And I'm excited to see how he will provide for our families, how he will bless us in his word and how He will continue to do His work here at Lebanon. What a joy and a privilege it is to be part of the family of God. This morning as we look at God's Word, we're returning to our series, Kingdom Life in a Fallen World, as we look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, after a brief pause for Thanksgiving and Advent. On November the 14th, we finished chapter 5, in which Jesus said, You shall be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. And we said, as we looked at that passage, that Jesus is giving us His standard of righteousness. That you and I, as His children, are to be perfect. But it's not just a standard to beat over our heads. It is also a promise that the Lord Jesus Christ, by His Spirit, accomplishes everything in us that the Word of God requires from us. It is a blessing and a promise that He is with us. Throughout the sermon, Jesus ultimately is after our hearts. He is to be on the throne of our lives, including our affections and all our motivations, why we do what we do. In John chapter 4 verse 34, Jesus said that His food was to do the will of Him who sent Him. His ultimate desire in His life on this earth was to please His heavenly Father, that He would be pleased with the things that He said and the people that He interacted with, that everything He did would be for the glory of His Father. Pleasing the Father is exactly what Jesus teaches here. And He speaks to the slippery nature of our hearts. And it shows us that we truly have a need for a king. As we exist in God's kingdom, we are not little kings. We are those serving the king. And we serve in His kingdom. And our desire, our ultimate desire, should be to please Him. As we look at this passage of Scripture, I want to give you three general principles. First, secondly, playing the hypocrite. And lastly, a heavenly reward. First, three very general principles that I see from this passage of Scripture, what Jesus is teaching. Number one, that since Adam and Eve's fall in the garden, men and women have been mixed up in their priorities about being seen by God and by others. Adam and Eve tried to hide from God's eyes. They exalted Satan's opinion of them, and they esteemed their self-worth more than obeying the expressed will of God. And I want to say that anytime any of us are in that place where we would supplant God's words for selfish ends, we are stepping outside of His design for our lives as His people. Anytime you don't obey God's word, it is against what He says. And the Bible calls that sin. And we should walk in His ways. We should obey His word, even if it is unpopular, even if it does bring the ire of a group of people. We absolutely should obey God's word. This is serious business, in fact. Adam and Eve set aside and departed from God's covenant in the garden. And they replaced the fear of the Lord with fear of man. The second general principle is that Jesus has redeemed His people from the tyranny of sin. And He calls us through the power of the Holy Spirit to put sin to death every day. Paul taught this responsibility in Romans chapter 8, verse 13. And it is done through the Holy Spirit... Sin is too powerful for all of us. In Romans 8.13, Paul said that we are to put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. We would be wrong to believe that this work is not necessary. Well, I'm a believer. I belong to Christ. I no longer am under the power of sin. You're absolutely correct. But you do have indwelling sin in your heart. And it does affect the motivations and the inclinations of your mind, your appetites, and the things that you go after. So we would be wrong to say that this work is not necessary. And we would also be wrong to say that we have the power to do this on our own. We absolutely do not. As we said a few weeks ago, our strengths are too weak for us and our weaknesses are too strong for us. And it is only as we rely on the Holy Spirit and the power of His grace in our lives that we actually see and experience victory over sin. That's the second general principle. The third general principle is that God's people are to do acts of righteousness. Here he says charitable deeds. In the NIV it says acts of righteousness in general in verse 1. That we are to do those. And they're summarized here in the Sermon on the Mount in Jesus' teaching in chapter 6. Today we'll look at what it means to give alms or to give for the glory of God. Then he speaks about prayer. And then about fasting. These were Jewish practices. Things that anyone who was a good, practicing, God-fearing Jew... They would do these things. It was a part of their life. And they knew one another were doing them too because they wanted to honor God together as His people. This is the best and highest sense of the word religion in the Bible, not the torn down word that we sometimes speak about today with derision. As in James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, it says that we're to be doers of the word, that pure and undefiled religion is to visit widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. That's what the Bible says about religion. Now we, sinful people, have taken it and made it something that God never intended it to be. We take, just as the people in the Old Testament did, we take the things that God gives us to do, ways that we should walk in in His presence in obedience, and we do those things but not bringing our heart along with us. We take our sacrifice, but we don't take ourselves. That's what Jesus is speaking against here. Our participation in these acts of righteousness, as Jesus calls them, is directly related to the glory of God, to pleasing Him. He is pleased when we do these things, according to His Word, by His Spirit, filled with His grace. And it's also related to our enjoyment of His bountiful grace in our lives. John Piper has a slogan in his book, Desiring God. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Do you rest and receive His promises today? Do you rest in them? Do you receive them by faith? Are they true to you? Are they precious to you? Are they worth more than anything else as you look to Him in faith? Or are you looking somewhere else? So that's number one. Three very general principles that I see in this text. Number two, playing the hypocrite. Jesus mentions the hypocrite as many times as He mentions the Heavenly Father in this passage of Scripture. Just at the end of chapter 5, He said, Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And then here, as He talks about giving and doing uh, charitable deeds, or giving alms, as it says in the NIV, giving money to support the poor. I'm not here this morning to talk about your offering, your tithes and your offering. He's talking specifically about giving to support those who were poor among them. The people were expected to do it. They absolutely were. But he's speaking about the hypocrite. And what that word means, it means an actor. It's from the, the world of theater. And in the ancient world of theater, the actors answered the chorus line. And this is exactly what Jesus is speaking about here. The hypocrite is giving, giving alms to help the poor, maybe making a charitable donation. But they're not doing it to actually help the poor. They're doing it for the praise of other people. They're not giving for the sake of giving. They're giving for the sake of a purchase. They want to buy someone's praise and their, their nice, kind words so that they can maybe feel better about themselves. What's interesting about these hypocrites, these actors, is that they didn't wear makeup in the ancient theaters. They wore masks. So they had to put on a mask to cover their face to pretend to be something they weren't. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying in this masterful passage that he's teaching about the thoughts and inclinations of our hearts. He's saying, if you do this, if you give in this way so that other people will see you, you play the hypocrite. You put on a mask pretending to be a godly, righteous person, but yet behind that mask is a person who is begging for the praise of people, of other men, and you set aside the praise and adoration of your Heavenly Father. Because you're not giving glory to God and you're giving. You want the glory for yourself. And you're not really interested in helping other people. You just want to buy their praise. That Jesus says that's playing the hypocrite. And it's clear in this passage from Jesus' teaching that not all acts of righteousness are pleasing to our Heavenly Father. Clearly His blessing is not on the hypocrite. He tells him, if you receive the praise of men, you have received your reward. You don't look for another one from your heavenly father. You've already received it. It's in your hands. Consider two examples one from the Old Testament and one from the New. In Genesis chapter 4, when Cain brought his offering to God, when he took the fruit of the land and he offered it to the Lord, it says that the Lord did not, he was not pleased with his offering. He did not accept it. And he was angry. And God responded to him and told him sin is crouching at the door. It wants to master you. You must master it. And then in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, when everyone was living together and had all things in common and people were coming and bringing the proceeds from the things that they sold for the good of the people of God, Ananias and Sapphira developed a plan. We're going to sell this plot of land that we own. We don't really need it. People are giving to the church. We'll do the same thing. But they were... They were told that they came when they brought their offering. They lied to the living God. And they were asked, why did you devise this plan in your heart? Why why didn't you just keep the land? Wasn't it yours when you owned it? And weren't the proceeds yours until you brought it? Why did you want to put on a show and say that you gave more than you actually did? Why did you say you gave all the proceeds to the church when really you kept some back for yourself? And when they were told... You didn't lie to man. You didn't lie to us. You lied to our Heavenly Father. And what was the judgment that they received immediately? They were struck down and had to be carried out. They lied to the living God. They lied to God's people. But ultimately, as David said, before you and you alone have I sinned. They sinned before God. They wanted the glory of men, the praise of men. They wanted to be esteemed as givers, as people who give beyond what other people do. They were entirely infatuated with it. In John chapter 12, verse 43, it says, For they love the praise of men more than they love the praise of God. How about our hearts this morning? Do we give so that other people notice we put something in the offering plate when it goes by? Are we hoping that they'll see it? Do we stretch just enough that other people notice? That's one of the thought motivations that Jesus is after here. The religious motions are not what God is after. Going through the motions is not part of His design for you. He wants your heart, your affections, your desires, what draws you to do the things that you do. That's what He's after. The question that Jesus is probing their hearts with is, why are you giving the gift? Whom do you want to please? Don't you know that you can't hide from Me any more than Adam and Eve could hide from Me in the garden? I see everything down to the thoughts and intents of your heart. Don't you know that what they sinned, their sin ultimately was in the garden, was a departure from my covenant. They walked away from me. They took the fear of the Lord and said, I can live this life on my own terms. I can walk in the fear of man and set aside God's covenant and depart from him, and I can still live. And isn't that ultimately where many of us struggle? That we can have life on our own terms. We can do it according to our own designs, our own desires. You can't. You can't say anything to me, Lord, about that. I don't want you to have that part of my life. You can have my Sunday life. You can even have my Sunday night life. But I can't give you this part. I can't trust you with my finances. I can't trust you with my reputation. I can't trust you. You fill in the blank. I want to read a quote to you about the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not something that you get to later in the Christian life. The Bible says it's the absolute beginning of walking with the Lord. This is what John Piper said in How Do We Fear God? A sense of awe and respect for the majesty of God. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It means that God is in your mind and heart so powerful and so holy and so awesome that you would dare not run away from Him to other things, but only run to Him away from those other things. In other words, fearing God is not another requirement. It's the way you do covenant keeping, the way you receive Jesus, the way you come to Him. You come fervently, humbly, reverently, without any presumption that He owes you anything. In Psalm 51, God says, a broken and a contrite heart you will not turn away. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Tremble if you ever feel any inclination to leave this God you love. There is only destruction away from Him. Oh, how we should fear to leave the Lord. Tremble in His presence that He would so graciously receive us, forgive all of our sins, and give us an everlasting future. So many people do not fear their carnal departures. They don't tremble. That's what John Piper had to say about the fear of the Lord. As we think about our hearts and and the ebb and flow of our lives, Are you walking before the Lord, fearing Him as the Bible commands? Or has some other false love gotten in? Some idol gotten in and maybe just turned the road just a little bit? Jesus says if you give before men for their praise, you have the reward. If you give for yourself to see it, He says that it's not even right for you to know what you're giving. He says don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. Don't even be right in in your own heart thinking about it. Well, I gave. I'm off the hook. I did it. I, I took care of it. Jesus says, don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing so that you wouldn't look at yourself and esteem yourself and say, I'm a giving person. He says, that man also has his reward. And both of these are fleeting. Don't we know that men and women are fickle? As they praise us one day, the next day they may be cursing us. They can change on a dime. And don't we know that the Scripture is true, that our hearts are deceptive, that one day we might say we're good, and the next day what we thought was good is no longer good, it's bad. Our hearts are fickle. Men and women are fickle. We should be living to please the Lord. So lastly, a heavenly reward. And why does Jesus talk about rewards? What's all this talk of rewards? If I'm to be giving for the glory of God, preacher... And you say I'm not to give for the praise of men or to ease my own conscience. Why is Jesus here in this passage talking about rewards? And I want to talk about just a few of them. The first is a reward that we receive from our Heavenly Father as we walk in obedience and faith before Him. We truly are participating in God's glorious gospel work to provide for His people. As we pass the offering plate on Sundays, have you thought about that that the Lord is using your obedience to provide for the needs of this church but also for the needs of other people? As you give for what is called our shepherding fund? Have you thought that I am giving in obedience to the Lord and that it is being used to comfort and care for people who truly have needs? That is it's a matter of obedience for our hearts. There is also a reward of a deep and abiding sense of joy. That by God's work, I am reconciled to my Heavenly Father. My debt is paid in full. We said that this morning in the Lord's Prayer. Let us, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, forgive my debt of sin based on the finished work of Christ and what He did on the cross. Money is absolutely a powerful tool in this world for good and for bad. But never be mistaken that you or I could buy God. Ever. Thirdly, a blessing, a reward that we receive is the blessing of a clear conscience before God and true peace with Him. Maybe this is underestimated in our world today. As Jason said in Sunday school, our conscience, many many people in our society, their conscience is seared to the point that it doesn't exist. There's nothing that's too bad. There's nothing that's too far away from what God's Word commands to do. Everything is open. It's open season to do anything we'd like. I'm the the master of my own ship. I'm the one who sets my own fate. I can do whatever I would like. The Bible says that you and I are not for sale. The Bible says we were bought with a price. The price of the blood of the precious lamb of God. What men do or say is not the final measure of who you and I are. Do you believe that to be true? And the fear of man has a powerful bent to cause us to do and say things, to commit to things that we would never do. If our conscience was alone. But let someone else speak or say something. Speak about its worth. And immediately we cower under it. They'll only love me or like me. Or prefer me if I say yes. Or if I do it. If I don't go there. If I don't associate with these people. That's a true pull at our hearts in this world because of our sin. But listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 11. Verses 24 to 25. By faith Moses when he became of age refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. He looked to the reward of being called a faithful son of the living God, that he would one day be in his presence. He knew that he would. And he said, I would rather be called a child of God then take the name of the richest people on the earth at that time and live in pleasure while God's people, my brethren, suffer. I would rather be there. I would rather be poor in this world and rich to heaven. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, Paul said, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. If the Lord has set His love on you, it's not in vain. He's not hoping that you'll help Him in the great work of calling you himself in making you a son or a daughter of the living God and he absolutely doesn't need you to give to take care of his people but he invites all of us to be part of his work of comforting his people of caring for them and providing for them it is far better for us to not have the temporary earthly praise of men and to have his our heavenly father's approval forever we need one another in this fight against sinful desires. We need love and encouragement. We need true companionship as the people of God. On Monday night, I shared with the elders before our meeting from Hebrews chapter 3 in verses 12 to 14 where He says that we are to encourage one another every day as it is still called today that none of us would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That every day we would encourage one another as you hear one another one down Or this has been a difficult time. Or this last couple of years really has challenged my faith. Or I just don't feel as close to the Lord. I don't sense His presence. And the Bible says that we're to encourage one another. We are to participate in the communion of the saints. That we would be able to encourage one another. Husband and wife, friend, co-worker. Trust the Lord. He is faithful. He makes promises to His people and He keeps them. Don't walk away from the Lord. Sin is deceitful. It will make you think that right is left and up is down, but God's Word says that He doesn't change. What has started by the grace of God in your heart and in mine is to be carried on by His grace and not in our strength. I want to just share with you, lastly, a quote from a book that was written in 1986 by a lady named Melody Beatty. She wrote a book called Codependent No More, where she saw in the world a sense in which people were depending on one another for their own self-worth to decide what is to be esteemed in me or not is whether you like it or not. And if you don't like it, then I should change. And her answer was in 1986. She said, the only way that you and I have any hope of escaping and stop living for the praise and approval of other people is to love ourselves, to look inside ourselves for what is worth praising. And this is woefully short of the Word of God. We are not to look to ourselves to magnify ourselves. We can't say what is lovely or beautiful. The Word of God says that He is. And what we should be asking the Lord for, if this is a struggle for us, walking in the fear of man, is that He would give us such a sense and a view of the fear of the Lord that we would not be thinking less of ourselves, but that we would spend less time thinking of ourselves and looking to Him. He doesn't want you to feel like the scum of the earth or a worm. You are a son or a daughter of the living God. And He spent every ounce of life and poured out blood from His precious Son that you or I would be one and purchased that we would be with Him forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this word from the Lord Jesus this morning even though it does... Poke and prod and scrape at our hearts. It is truth, and we need to hear it. We need to hear the truth of the living God that what is most important in our lives is that we please you and not ourselves, that we please you and not other people, and that what the voice of the crowd says is not significant. Lord, I pray that you would help us to find our identity and our worth and our name in you, that you say we belong to you. And Lord, I pray that you would bless us in our giving. Giving of our time, giving of money, giving of our talents for the sake of the glory of God and for the benefit of your people. Lord, I pray that you would do this in our lives. Help us to see areas where we maybe are self-deceived, where we think we are not playing the hypocrite, but maybe we are, where we wear a mask and hope that other people will enjoy and delight in the things that we do. Lord, help us to confess this before you and to walk in faith and repentance that we would be refreshed in your presence. And know that it is only to you that we live. In your name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. No, I'm going to wait to do that. I apologize. Don't stand and don't sing. Not yet. At this time, I'd like to ask the elders to come forward who will be participating in the Lord's Supper together. As we come to the table of the Lord's grace today, this is a sacrament of the church. It's a gift from the Lord Jesus in his grace and wisdom. He has given this to us for our encouragement and building up in faith. This is a meal that he greatly desired to partake in with the disciples, as he says in the gospel. And he also said to them a promise that I will not partake of the fruit of the vine until I partake of it with you in heaven. It was his desire to go. And it was his desire to give his life for you and for me. We took time over the last four weeks celebrating the advent of our Lord. When he came into this world as a little baby. And we said from Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 that Joseph was told, You will call him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. This morning as we come to this table, it is his table of grace. It is a gift that he has given to the church. He has given to you as his people. And it is a blessing and a privilege to come to it. But it's not something we should come to lightly. It's not something that we should come to without doing what the gospel of the Lord Jesus commands us to do. As he said, and Paul said in Corinthians, that we're to examine ourselves and to think about the ways in which we belong to the Lord. Are we living according to his word? Are we walking in faith and repentance? Are we doing the things that a child of the living God would do, being led by his spirit? So after I read the words of Institution this morning, we'll have some time to pray and to search our hearts and ask that the Lord would show us ways that we might need to repent, that we would come and partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner in honor of the Lord Jesus Christ and truly feed upon Him as He has offered to us in this meal. These are the words of Institution from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep." For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest he come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. That's First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 34. I want to take a few moments now as we... Come to the table of the Lord's grace, to ask Him to examine our hearts, to show us the ways that we may need to repent in faith before Him. This is not so you feel terrible about yourself. This is so you would be honest before the Lord about your own heart and your conscience, and that it would be clear before Him in confessing sin. So after a few moments, as we silently confess our sins to Him, I'll pray out loud together. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to this table of your grace, we come as your people, needy and broken and frail. Lord, we confess that there are things that your word tells us to do that we have left undone. And there are things that you told us not to do that we have done. And we confess those sins before you, the the great and living God, the almighty heavenly Father that we praise, Lord, is the one that sometimes we depart from, and lack the covenant keeping that our first parents Adam and Eve participated in. Lord, we believe that when they fell, we sinned with them and we cry out to you for grace. Lord, I pray that you would show us in our hearts areas that we are not walking in obedience, that we would confess those to you now and that you would cause us by your grace to walk in newness of life with you as you lead us by your spirit. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of pouring out your spirit in our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that we wouldn't violate our own conscience at all for the sake of pleasing others. But that we would live to please you in this day and every other day that you give us for the glory of God. In your name, amen. The Lord Jesus says that this is his table. It is not our table. It's not my table. It is his table of grace. And he says that it is a table for people who have a sense of their need to hunger and thirst after righteousness, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. But there are certain restrictions. It is an invitation-only table. If you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and believed in Him by faith and trust that He alone is the reason that our Heavenly Father accepts you, then you ought not come to this table. If you are walking in some unrepentant sin, and not willing to confess that to the Lord and want to keep it from him, you ought not come to this table. And if there is something between you and a brother or sister that is as yet unresolved and you haven't done everything that you can by the Lord's grace to absolve it, to take care of it, then you ought not come to this table. We believe that God has called covenant families to Himself. So... We, we do participate together as families, but if your children have not made profession of faith, then they should look to the Lord and trust in Him and participate at another time. But should be here and pay attention during this service of worship. This is a sacred meal that the Lord has given to His people. Having fenced the table, it is not the table for the perfect, not for people who have won the righteousness that Christ earned on the cross. This is a table for you to lift up your head and look to the Lord and partake in the meal that he has given for his people. He calls you beloved and blessed. In Jeremiah, he calls you the apple of his eye. You are his people. And he says, these are my gifts to you. Come and feast upon me, for in me everything that my Father required, I have done for you. This is the table of his grace, and we should come and be thankful that the Passover lamb was sacrificed once and for all for us. These are the elements that the Lord gave us in his supper, as he chose and saw fit to feed his people. He said on the night that he was betrayed, that he took the bread and he broke it before the disciples. And he told them, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you eat it, remember me. I gave it for you. I am the Passover lamb. Everything that I did was to secure your salvation. He also said that after the supper, he took the cup and he told them, This is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you for the remission of sins. Drink you all of it and trust only in me, not in anything else, not in yourself, not in your good works, your good intentions, or even your good conscience. Look to me only. I am the Passover lamb, and I gave my life for the sins of my people. I'm going to ask the elders to come now as we partake in the Lord's Supper. These are the gifts of God for His people. Let us rejoice as we participate in this meal by faith. It is His blessing to us. Let me pray for us. Father, we are about to partake of this meal together, We pray that we would do so by faith to the glory of God. Lord, help us to cling to you as you have promised in your word. You are all, to all of us, our Savior. And the all-sufficiency that we need to live for you. And Lord, we thank you for this time to be able to remember your body that was brutally broken, that we might be made your children. In your name, amen. Jesus said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we hold these cups, we cry out to You and praise You that Your precious blood was spilled for the sake of our sins. Lord, we thank You that the the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and His shed blood has cleansed us from our sins, but has also made us the righteousness of Christ in You. Lord, we thank You that we, even though we don't understand all that it means, that this exchange happened, that your word says that it is true. And Lord, we thank you that you have not only cleansed our hearts, you've cleansed our conscience, and you have placed us before you in your presence as your sons and your daughters. Amen. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink you all of it. Having tasted and seen uh, that the Lord is good and participated in this sacrament, the Lord supper, as his people. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 679, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." thank you during this service of worship today. You've been faithful to us. We thank you for the time that we have spent praising you and partaking of the Lord's supper together. This means of grace that you have given to us in your wisdom and by your grace that we would feed upon Christ. And Lord, we thank you now for being able to give tithes and offerings to the glory of God. And we pray, Lord, that you would use them for the sake of your glory to be spread abroad throughout all the earth, that as your word says, that the nations would be glad as they rejoice and hear the name of our Savior. And Lord, we look to you in faith as we give, trusting that you will provide for our families and that you will pour out your riches from heaven. In your name, amen.